Let us bless the Lord indeed, for the Lord has been good. Lord, we pray now that as we come to this moment of breaking the bread of your word, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds and center us in on you again. Break open your word in a way that we are encouraged, inspired to keep on keeping on. And all of God's children said, amen. This morning, I'd like to focus in on the theme, welcome to the new year. The season of Advent where we were hoping and expecting God to come into the world and save us, love us, deliver us has come and gone. The season of Christmas, focusing in on so many things, decorations and meals and gift buying and wrapping and Time with family, although distant and perhaps virtually this year, has come and gone. Our New Year's celebrations have come and gone, and perhaps even some of our resolutions that were made have come and gone. And what a new year we have entered just when we thought it was safe to go into the water again. I think in just these past four weeks, with all that has happened and is happening in our public space nationally and at the state level, in our homes, and in the midst of these multiple pandemics, that many would say our 2021 has started out as a doozy. Some have even jokingly said that 2020 just put a wig on and came back as 2021. Now, I don't begrudge this new year in any way. I'm grateful for every day and every new year. And as my grandmother used to always say, it might get tough on this side, but remain grateful because you are on this side. There's always an alternative. So now that we're into this new year, I came this morning to ask you, where is your focus? What are you committing your attention, your emotions, and your mental energy toward in this new year, in this first month of the new year? We know there's quite a bit happening all around us, competing for our attention, the latest COVID updates, the number of people suffering far and wide and even close up, the number who have succumbed, those whom we've just prayed for, those whom you know about, those who are nameless unto us. Who's getting the vaccine and, and when? And do we wear one mask or two? Do we wear three masks or four? When are our kids getting going to be able to go back safely into the classroom? When can we go back safely into the office? And then, of course, there are those who are trying to figure out how to make ends meet after suffering job loss or loss of home or eviction. And if that wasn't enough, what in the world is going on with our democracy, our government what will it take for us to truly be the United States of America? 
That's another sermon for another day. But yet and still, it is in the context in which we are in this day. The overwhelming issues of life have now washed back into view and are competing with those seasonal celebrations that ushered us forth into 2021. So now, rather than anticipating and expecting great things, perhaps our attention and our energy has turned to the grittiness of life. We have shifted our focus from looking up and expecting God to move in miraculous and advent ways to now looking at how do we make it to the next day and what are some of the quick fixes that might give us some quick relief. Instead of looking to the one who came into the world to save us, we're trying to figure out how to save ourselves. So we look to the worldly saviors. We look at our bank accounts and we look to other people. We look at our resumes and our credentials. And in the midst of crisis and pandemics, this is somewhat understandable. But this morning, as I come to say welcome to the new year, I I want us to wrestle with where we are focusing our eye. Have you considered God in the midst of it all? You see, when we focus so much on circumstance or our worldly saviors, on the crises and the pandemics, on the drama in the government and politics, when we worry and we fret, when we become anxious, If we are not careful, we allow these circumstances, these, these consider these crises and these pandemics to become distractions and idols that are now sitting on a throne that should be inhabited by the one we just celebrated this past Christmas season. Our second lesson today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and in That text, as you heard it read, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about whether they can eat food offered in sacrifice to idols. Many of the Corinthians are trying to get the okay to eat the food that may have been offered to idols. And in an effort to explain to the Corinthians that it is not really about the food, but about how the more seasoned Christians impact the lives and the journey of the newly converted Christians— Paul, in the middle of that explanation, provides a strong statement of our faith that many may gloss over in the midst of the debate. In the middle of this heated debate about food, Paul pushes aside the worldly appetites of his listeners to make a profound statement about our faith. He says in verse 4, hence as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that no idol in the world really exists and that there is no God but one. Indeed, even there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as in fact there are many gods and many lords. Listen carefully. Yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all are things and through whom we exist. He was making a statement about our faith. Yes, we've got all this going on, debating and thinking and reconciling. But yet and still, we must not forget that our God sits on a throne 
where he looks, he sits high, but he looks low, where he, he has come through the body of Christ to join us in this journey and to tag team with us as we walk this walk of faith. Paul is talking to a Corinthian society where idol temples were integrated into many aspects of daily life, where bringing an offering to a god or an idol was a near universal experience in Greek and Roman culture. So Paul was coming up against a quote-unquote idol culture, a culture that was very comfortable culturally with focusing on and worshiping idols. Paul enters into this cultural context to remind them of our faith and of our God. Now, I'm not minimizing your challenges and your circumstances today. I'm merely here to tell you to maximize your awareness and presence of a great God. The tension between idols and our God is not new in this Christian journey. You may think of these accounts in the book of Corinthians as addressing a people way back when who worshiped idols to guarantee good crops and healthy children and great success in life. However, as we read the text today, Paul's words are still relevant and resounding. The idols of today may look different than they did then. The trappings of success, however, these continue to captivate even the most faithful among us, whether they're trappings of success circumstances that can capture our worry and our intense emotion, they cannot distract us from realizing that God is still alive and in our midst. When we elevate them to the status of idols and we worship and focus in on them, it zaps us of our own power. The psalmist said in Psalm 115, that their idols are silver and gold and made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, noses but cannot smell, and hands but cannot feel, and feet but cannot walk. Those who make them and worship them will be like them. We must take up agency again in our faith and realize that it is not the idols we worship, it is a God who is able to do the impossible. So this morning, I just wanted to come and simply remind you of some things you already know. How do we turn from our fixation on idols, the circumstances, the trappings of success, the things that we focus on instead of God? First and foremost, we must resolve to seek God again to seek and inquire of the Lord. As the psalmist said so beautifully, one thing I asked of the Lord and that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. We need more Christians to resolve to seek God, to have firm determination, that have a made-up mind that no matter how tough it gets, I will continue to worship a God who's able to get me through. In the 
face of an attack and the face of a challenge, we need thinking and strategizing Christians who resolve to love the Lord our God with all their minds and all their hearts and all their being. Because when we do so, God stirs up gifts within and helps us to be courageous and challenging moments. In this historical moment, we are faced with, we as a church— must rise up again and reclaim hope. I think it is fair to say that these days are challenging our ability to hope. But we, the church of the living God, are the curators of hope, the builders of hope, because we put our hope in a God who never fails. When we put our resolve in a God who never fails. He ignites and stirs our hope again to tag team with our faith so that we can keep on moving forward. We need to have the resolve of a Job who said, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. We need the resolve of David who said, I will bless the Lord, not sometimes, not only when things are going well, but at all times. We need to have the resolve of even the disciples who said, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. We need the resolve of the woman with the issue of blood who in all of her challenging moments said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. We need the resolve of a Hank Aaron who, in spite of barrier after barrier, broke the barriers of history, one home run after another. We, we need the resolve of a legendary Cicely Tyson who overcame so many obstacles as a young black woman to emerge as an iconic Academy Award-winning actor who then used that platform to insist on justice for so many. We, we need to resolve to seek God again, turn away for a moment from those idols that have enraptured you and turn to a God who calls you his beloved. Not only must we resolve to seek God more, we must insist on the power of prayer. I find it so interesting that of those of us who call ourselves the church, we don't insist on the power of prayer. You do know that prayer can change things. Carrie Tinboom, whose family helped many Jews escape Nazi persecution at the risk of their own, as they were also caught and then put in to the Ravensbrück concentration camp, once said this about prayer. She said, the wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world of not being able to do something and enter God's realm where everything is possible. For God specializes in the impossible. Nothing is too great for God's almighty power. Nothing is too small for God's love. The prayers of the righteous availeth much. The effectual prayers ignite the move of God's hand. Many of us pray half prayers. We do all the talking and none of the listening. But Soren Kierkegaard said, a, may, 
A man prayed, and at first he thought that prayer was talking. But he became more and more quiet until in the end he realized that prayer is listening. We must again insist on the power of prayer, for in that prayer moment, life is created and life is changed. Prayers change you and transform desires and motives and loves and thoughts. We who are co-laborers with God must insist on the power of prayer. In that prayer, we adore God. In that prayer, we confess our sins. In that prayer, we give thanks. In that prayer, we intercede on behalf of others. In that prayer, Lord, we pray this day. We see God in new ways and understand who we are in God. And finally, to turn our fixation from idols, we must shift our gaze to gratitude. I know it's challenging. I know things are tough. I know things are not going the way you want them to go, but I dare you to give God thanks anyhow. Like David, to bless God at all times, to shift your gaze to a gaze of gratitude. It turns your looking at the problem into your looking at the answer. It shifts you into a mindset where, God, I don't know how it's all going to turn out, but I give you thanks even now. For when you shift your gaze unto God in the midst of these circumstances, all of a sudden you begin to see how big your God is compared to the size of your problems. Rather than worry, and given to anxiety, begin to think of all the things that you're grateful for. Your list may begin short and may begin basic, and you might just say, I'm thankful for breath. I'm thankful for one foot in front of the other. Make it your New Year's ritual to list out three things that you're grateful for each day. Then watch how you turn your gaze from the idols in your life to the God in your midst. You may not see immediate victory or feel immediate peace, but worship God nonetheless, for the God we serve has never broken a promise. The God we serve promised to never leave you nor forsake you. The God we served has promised to never give up on us. So let's not give up on God. As the hymn writer says, I surrender all to thee. Oh God, this day, we can't control outcomes. We can't even control tomorrow. So rather than worry about it over and over and over again, which is a form of worship, this day, oh God, this new year, may we commit our worship to you. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. <laughs>